Welcome to the Verity Podcast for Saturday, October 21st, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. Trump pulls young voters away from Biden. Several bases housing U.S. forces are attacked in Iraq. The U.S. warns of China's expanding nuclear arsenal. The U.S. soldier who fled to North Korea faces several charges. Canada withdraws 41 diplomats from India. Trump is fined for violating a gag order. France arrests 18 after fake bomb threats trigger nationwide evacuations. The U.S. says it recorded over 270 UFO sightings in the last eight months. OpenAI considers selling its shares at an $86 billion valuation. And Amazon tests humanoid robots in its warehouses. In our top story, a new poll shows Trump leading Biden among voters under 30. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Forbes, Washington Examiner, Emerson Polling, and The Hill. Former U.S. President Donald Trump is increasing his support among young voters, according to a poll released by Emerson College on Friday, which shows voters under 30 narrowly supporting Trump over President Joe Biden by a margin of 45% to 43%. Trump's support among younger demographics marks a dramatic shift from just three years ago, when Biden won roughly 60% of voters under 30 compared to Trump's 36%. Millennials and Gen Z have overwhelmingly supported Democrats in past elections, but according to an NBC News poll from June, only 9% of voters under 35, quote, strongly approve of Biden. The poll also shows Trump's nationwide support increasing two percentage points to 47% since last month, while Biden held steady at 45%. The economy remains the most important issue for a plurality of voters, 35% while immigration has increased in importance, especially among people in the Northeast. Other polls from this week also show Trump leading Biden, including the CNBC All-America Economic Survey poll and a Bloomberg Morning Consult poll of seven swing states, which both had Trump up by four points. Trump remains far ahead of the GOP field with 59% support in the Republican primary, No other candidate cracked double digits, with Nikki Haley 8%, Ron DeSantis 4%, and Mike Pence 3%, all battling to be a distant second. Meanwhile, Biden remains the presumptive Democratic nominee with 70% support and a relatively empty field. In hypothetical matchups, the Emerson poll showed Trump leading Bernie Sanders 48% to 40%, while Biden leads Mitt Romney 40% to 30%. Among young voters, Sanders, who has been quite popular with the group, only leads Trump by 45% to 42%. On this program, we separate the spin from the facts. Eric just laid out our facts, and our first spin is the Republican narrative from Daily Caller. Young Americans are finally waking up to the fact that the Democratic Party has failed them, and they are flocking to Trump in shocking numbers. Biden clearly lacks the cognitive ability to serve as president, and his policies are making Americans poorer and less safe. Young people, like most other Americans, recognize that the country was doing better under Trump, and the numbers reflect that reality. We counter that with a Democratic narrative coming from NBC. Despite differing reports from a rogue poll or two, the truth is that Trump and his MAGA movement remain extremely unpopular with young people, and he will have a hard time winning them over in the 2024 election. Trump was beaten by wide margins among voters under 30 in previous elections. And that is unlikely to change as young voters are historically more progressive and diverse than their older counterparts. 
and we occasionally have statistics-based nerd narratives brought to us by the Metaculous Prediction community. This time, they say there's a 40% chance that Donald Trump will win the 2024 election if he faces Joe Biden. Do you see Donald Trump breaking out the saxophone like uh, Bill Clinton? That would be, that would be a- funny if someone just <laughs> if someone just associated, well, he won the presidency. What was it about it? Well, he played the sax. <laughs> Rockets and drones target bases housing U.S. forces in Iraq. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, The National, Guardian, Iran International, Air and Space Forces Magazine, and Rudaw Media Network. Two military bases hosting U.S. troops in western Iraq were reportedly attacked with drones and missiles Thursday, days after Iraqi militias allegedly warned Washington against intervening in the Israel-Hamas conflict. Several blasts were allegedly heard at an Ain al-Assad airbase, though it's unclear whether the attack caused casualties or damage. The Iraqi military said it had blocked off the area around the base and launched an investigation. Meanwhile, rockets reportedly struck a military base near Baghdad's international airport. The same day, the U.S. Navy said it had intercepted three cruise missiles and several drones fired by Houthi rebels in Yemen, potentially targeting Israel. The attacks come a day after U.S. forces stationed in the Al-Tanf base near Syria's border with Iraq and Jordan were targeted in two separate drone attacks, according to anonymous U.S. officials. The U.S. maintains a 2,500-troop force in Iraq and another 900 in neighboring Syria. On Wednesday, the U.S. Central Command said that U.S. forces shot down two drones and damaged a third in Iraq over the past 24 hours, with coalition forces suffering minor injuries in one incident. The latest attacks are the first on U.S. forces in Iraq in over a year. The Iran-backed Islamic resistance in Iraq has claimed responsibility for Thursday's attack on the Ain al-Assad base as well as Wednesday's attack on the Al-Tanf base. While the Pentagon has warned, the U.S. will take all necessary measures to defend U.S. troops in Iraq and Syria. Scott, thanks for laying out those facts. The first spin is an establishment critical narrative. It's coming from Arab Center, Washington, D.C. Despite the tragic casualties on both sides of the conflict, the U.S. looking to shore up its political standing with Tel Aviv has unequivocally supported Israel while largely ignoring the horrors experienced by the Palestinians. This is a dangerous maneuver that has abandoned Washington's national interests in the rest of the region, leaving room for other actors to intervene. And the pro-establishment narrative comes from First Post. While there's no clear evidence that Tehran was involved in Hamas's savage assault on Israel, recent attacks by Iranian-backed militias on U.S. bases show that the Iranian regime is playing with fire. Meanwhile, other Iranian proxies like Hezbollah threaten to open a second front against Israel. Israel has no choice but to defend itself, and Washington is right to have its back. And we have a nerd narrative coming from the Metaculous Prediction community. They say there's a 35% chance that before 2024, the U.S. government will state that Iran likely helped Hamas plan the October 7th attack on Israel. Obviously, these attacks are are frightening and and not not good. But last night, I, I was I was uh, but I was watching the news and saw these uh, attacks on Iraq. And the first thing that came to my mind is like, uh oh, is this is this popping off? Is this is this how it? the real conflict begins. Luckily, it doesn't appear that this is that incendiary. It's still obviously bad, but yeah. I, it's sad that I have to feel that way. You know, like, oh, is yeah. this the one? Yeah. The U.S. says China has significantly expanded its nuclear arsenal. Here are the facts as agreed upon by NPR Online News, Voice of America, BBC News, Nikkei Asia, CBS, and Financial Times. 
A new report from the Pentagon has claimed that as of May this year, China holds over 500 operational nuclear warheads, an increase from an estimated 400 in 2021. The U.S. Department of Defense's annual China Military Power Report claimed the figures to be in line with previous assessments, while also stating its concern over what it described as the quickening development of China's nuclear arsenal. A senior U.S. defense official said Beijing is expanding and investing in their land, sea, and air-based nuclear delivery platforms. The report also claims that Beijing desires to double its stock of nuclear warheads to over 1,000 by 2030. Chinese President Xi Jinping has previously stated that the country will hold a, quote, world-class military by 2049. The document warned that China may be exploring the development of armed intercontinental range missile systems that have the capability to threaten conventional strikes within range of the continental U.S., Hawaii, and Alaska. According to China's public budget statistics, military spending for 2023 rose to 1.58 trillion yen, or 216 billion U.S. dollars, an increase of 7.2%. China has publicly stated that it adheres to a no-first-use policy concerning nuclear weapons. The U.S., as permitted by the New START Arms Control Treaty, has 1,550 deployed strategic nuclear warheads. Thanks, Eric. The Hill brings us the anti-China narrative. As America's fastest-growing nuclear rival, China is hypocritically calling for the withdrawal of U.S. nuclear weapons while rapidly expanding its own arsenal. To neutralize the danger, Washington must call China's bluff and freeze nuclear redeployment into Asia in return for Beijing's pausing of its own nuclear projects. If this doesn't occur, China's nuclear military strength will only continue to strengthen in the years and decades to come, a reality that must be avoided. China Daily gives us a pro-China narrative. While China continues to be hyped within Western media as a nuclear threat, recent reports show that the modernization and growth of nuclear arsenals are expanding globally. The PRC, like any other country, requires sophisticated weaponry to ensure national security, and the legitimate growth of nuclear capabilities is necessary. While the West will continue to demonize China, Beijing will continue to act only to ensure the safety of its national sovereignty. And another nerd narrative prediction from Metaculus, there is a 17% chance of a U.S.-China war before 2035. The army private who fled to North Korea faces charges. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by the Associated Press, CNN, The Washington Post, Reuters, and Fox News. Army Private Travis King, who fled to North Korea before being returned to the U.S. last month, is reportedly being charged with desertion and possession of sexual images of a child. In all, King is facing eight distinct charges under the Uniform Code of Military Justice. King fled from South Korea to North Korea on July 18th and was expelled by Pyongyang in September. The Army said that before King left for North Korea, he had served two months in a South Korean detention facility because of a physical altercation with members of the local population. Claudine Gates, King's mother, issued a statement asking that her son, who is being detained at Fort Bliss, Texas, be afforded the assumption of innocence. She also expressed concerns over his mental health. Scott, thank you for those facts. Our first spin is Narrative A coming from Breitbart. King should be prosecuted as much as the evidence against him will allow. Deserting the army was a bad enough violation, but clearly his actions before he left were leading to discipline that he was trying to avoid. Even worse, he allowed North Korea, one of the most egregious violators of human rights in the world, to use him as a propaganda tool against the U.S. He must be punished with due process. And News 1 counters with Narrative B. Concerns about the mental health of military personnel have to be taken more seriously. 
It appears something about being in the army changed King psychologically. If he expressed dissatisfaction with inequities in the military as he had claimed, he must be taken more seriously as well. King might need help from a mental professional more than he needs punishment. I mean, this really kind of clears up. I mean, I was wondering why someone would, you know, desert into North Korea and mental illness was on that list of reasons why. And and here we are. Didn't you flee to North Korea when you were mentally ill way back in the day? I could have swore that was your That's destination. That's what I'm saying, dude. Yeah. It takes one yeah. to know one. Canada withdraws 41 diplomats from India as tensions grow. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Associated Press, CBC, Al Jazeera, BBC News, CNBC, and Reuters. Canada has withdrawn 41 of its diplomats and their families from India after New Delhi threatened to revoke their diplomatic immunity. The move signifies an escalation of the dispute over a Sikh separatist who was killed in Vancouver on June 18th. Canadian Foreign Minister Melanie confirmed Thursday that the diplomats and their dependents had left India, cutting Canada's diplomatic presence in India by two-thirds. India had demanded parity in the number of diplomats between the two countries since India only had 21 accredited diplomats in Canada, compared to the 62 Canada had in India. Ties between the two countries have deteriorated dramatically since Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau accused Indian intelligence services of involvement in the killing of Hardeep Singh Nijar, a prominent Sikh separatist who later became a Canadian citizen. Despite labeling Nijar as a terrorist, India has resoundingly rejected Trudeau's claims. Two weeks ago, India asked Canada to remove dozens of diplomats and threatened to remove immunity for all but 21 diplomats, which Canada called a violation of international law. However, India's Ministry of External Affairs said that the move was warranted given Canada's large diplomatic presence and, quote, continued interference in our internal affairs. Canada's slashing of its diplomatic numbers has caused it to temporarily suspend in-person services at consulates in Bengaluru, Chandigarh, and Mumbai, leaving its high commission in New Delhi as the only location able to offer services to Indians, who represent the largest percentage of Canada's recent migrant population. India was Canada's top country for permanent residents, temporary foreign workers, and international students, but the lower consular staff levels will slow down visa processing. However, Indian government officials have suggested that the diplomatic dispute will not have any effect on trade between the two countries. Thanks, Eric. We have Narrative A from the Economic Times. India's actions over the last month have put a strain on its relationship with Canada and, in turn, harmed millions of people in both nations. New Delhi has violated international law with its threats to strip immunity from Canadian diplomats, and Ottawa had no choice but to remove the majority of its delegates in India. Unfortunately, millions of Canadians of Indian descent will be the victims of India's actions. Narrative B comes from NDTV. Canada is trying to frame India as the antagonist in the dispute over diplomatic relations, claiming New Delhi has violated international law. But this could not be further from the truth. India has every right to seek parity in diplomatic presence. And there was no reason for Ottawa to have nearly three times as many diplomats in India as India had in Canada. Canada doesn't need to have an unnecessarily bloated diplomatic corps in Canada, and India hasn't violated any norms or laws. A judge fines and threatens to jail Trump for violating his gag order. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, The Guardian, NBC News, CNBC, and Forbes. The judge overseeing Donald Trump's New York civil fraud trial fined the former president $5,000 and threatened serious sanctions 
including jail time, on Friday after Trump allegedly violated the gag order, barring him from speaking about the court staff. The apparent violation consisted of Trump failing to remove a social media post about Judge Arthur Engeron's clerk. Engeron issued the gag order on October 3rd after Trump first posted the social media post, which referred to the clerk as Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's girlfriend. The post was removed from Truth Social, where it was originally posted, but remained on Trump's website for more than two weeks. It was deleted Thursday night after media coverage led to attorneys on both sides of the trial being notified about the post. Trump's attorney, Christopher Keese, blamed Trump's campaign machinery for the post remaining on the website and told the judge that there was no intention to evade or circumvent or ignore the order. Trump also faces a partial gag order in the D.C. election interference case with U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkin barring Trump from making negative comments about the prosecutors or potential witnesses. Scott, thank you for laying out the facts. We begin our round of spins with a pro-Trump narrative. It's coming from Daily Caller. Trump shouldn't be punished or imprisoned for violating this ridiculous gag order. The post in question was removed from Truth Social soon after the judge ordered it to be, and it was an unintentional mistake that it was left up on his campaign website. His campaign is a complex machine with many moving parts, and this just fell through the cracks. Even just the consideration of jail time is absurd. And the anti-Trump narrative comes from NBC. The gag order was put in place because Trump was making incendiary and untrue statements about the court staff in this case, which could have led to dangerous physical harm. Even if leaving the post up was accidental, Trump is still ultimately responsible for what appears on his website. Trump is not above the law, and this serious violation of a gag order deserves sanctions. The nerds from Metaculus give us their nerd narrative, saying there's a 50% chance that Donald Trump will be jailed or incarcerated before 2030. 18 have been arrested in France after bomb threats at airports and the palace at Versailles. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, South China Morning Post, and France 24. On Thursday, Interior Minister Gérald Darmanin announced that at least 18 people in France, mostly youths, had been arrested in the span of 48 hours following fake bomb threats at the Palace of Versailles, the Louvre, schools, hospitals, and 15 airports, which prompted the cancellation of at least 130 flights this week. Among those arrested was a 16-year-old boy in a town northwest of Paris after an emailed bomb threat was sent to his school. Roughly 1,200 people were subsequently evacuated from Jean Perrin High School, including about 1,000 students. The justice minister said Friday that 22 investigations were underway, adding that he would crack down on, quote, little jokers who could face two years in prison or a 30,000 euro or 31,700 U.S. dollar fine. The Palace of Versailles was closed for the fifth time in a week on Friday, with the mayor saying that such threats could impact 10 to 15,000 people who visit the former royal residence every day. The Louvre, too, was forced to evacuate thousands last Saturday. A Paris prosecutor said that these threats from now on will be treated as psychological violence, adding that such a violation would be punishable by up to three years in prison and a 45,000 euro fine. While Darmanin emphasized that France was not under a specific threat, this comes as France was placed on its highest level of counterterrorism alert last week after a teacher was stabbed to death by a former student in Arras. The suspect is a Russian national of Chechen origin. Thanks, Eric. We have right and left narrative spins on this story. Let's start with the right narrative spin from The Telegraph. Europeans wouldn't be in a constant state of fear if they had taken warnings about immigration seriously. While migrants shouldn't be all cast as criminals, there is a correlation between terrorism and illegal migration that cannot be ignored. 
This game of psychological warfare began long ago, and the ones to blame are sitting in the halls of European governments. Newsroom gives us a left narrative. There's a misconception about the correlation between crime and immigrants that's fueling hostility toward asylum seekers. While there are undoubtedly migrants who commit crimes, just as there are non-migrants who commit crimes, this shouldn't be used as an excuse to turn our back on those genuinely seeking asylum or associate them with terrorists. And narrative C comes from the Los Angeles Times. At a time when the world is already on edge due to real threats of violence, the people of France shouldn't have to face any more psychological terror. While these culprits may think it's a harmless prank, the forced evacuation of public spaces only intensifies an already heated moment in history. Furthermore, these jokes will come with consequences, not if, but when, the perpetrators are found and arrested. The Pentagon claims there are 274 reports of UAPs over the last eight months. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Nottinghamshire Live, Fox News, and the Military Times. According to a new U.S. DOD report, in the last eight months, there have been 274 reports of unidentified anomalous phenomenon known as UAPs, or UFOs, made to the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, which leads the government's efforts documenting and analyzing such reports. The report, which says there have been 291 reports since 2019, brings the total number of reports under review to 800 over the period. While most reports have come from military personnel in restricted airspace, recent reports from commercial pilots have also been documented. It also noted that none of the reports were associated with any adverse health effects, but that many reports from military witnesses do present potential safety of flight concerns. It said there were also some that exhibited one or more concerning performance characteristics such as high-speed travel in addition to unusual maneuverability. The office said while the mere presence of UAP in the airspace represents a potential hazard to flight safety, none of these reports suggest the UAP maneuvered to an unsafe proximity to civil or military aircraft. It added that none of the reports have been positively attributed to foreign activities, but they are being investigated. The Pentagon said the reporting system on the office's website will eventually be open to reports dating back to 1945. This comes as Representative Tim Burchett, Republican of Tennessee, proposed the 2024 National Defense Authorization Act, seeking to provide greater transparency of UAP sightings, which would give defense officials 180 days after its passage to provide documents. Thank you, Scott, for those facts. We begin a round of spins with a pro-establishment narrative coming from Newsweek. As has been testified by officials before Congress, UAPs are absolutely real. Whether they belong to foreign governments or are non-human, they're still a concern that needs to be addressed by Washington. The public, not just military personnel, deserves to know if their airspace is safe to fly in. The scientific community must investigate and the military must take steps to combat potential enemy assets. And the establishment critical narrative comes from The Intercept. Despite common beliefs to the contrary, the U.S. government has a history of promoting UFO conspiracies, not downplaying them. The main witness from the last few months' media blitz was a retired Air Force officer who provided questionable testimony. Overall, the Pentagon, for various purposes, has an interest in kindling UFO mythology, perhaps as consistent cover for its own covert operations and next-generation product development. I know it's a shock to us all, but there is a nerd narrative for this story. Coming from Intaculous Prediction Community, they say there's an 18% chance that conclusive evidence for extraterrestrial life, past or present, will be discovered in the solar system by the year 2050. According to a recent report, OpenAI is considering selling its shares at an $86 billion valuation. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Bloomberg, Reuters, Fortune, and First Post. 
artificial intelligence startup OpenAI is reportedly discussing selling existing employees' shares at a valuation of $86 billion in a transaction known as a tender offer. The firm is reportedly negotiating with potential investors, which means it hasn't finalized allocations and the parameters of the deal could still evolve. Last month, the ChatGBT creator, which is backed by Microsoft, was reportedly seeking a valuation of as much as $90 billion. An $86 billion valuation would make OpenAI, which is led by CEO Sam Altman and President Greg Brockman, one of the world's most valuable companies behind Elon Musk's SpaceX, as well as ByteDance, the parent company of the social media app TikTok. San Francisco-based OpenAI is best known for developing ChatGBT, a popular chatbot that can respond to user prompts. Thanks, Eric. Narrative A on this story comes from the Financial Times. Employees at OpenAI have done a great job getting ahead of the AI industry curve in creating a chatbot with hundreds of thousands of users. They deserve to cash in on the company's success. This offering will also allow OpenAI to attract more talent and compete with bigger tech firms, and it's a win-win. New York Post gives us narrative B. Employees at OpenAI shouldn't start spending their windfall just yet. This valuation possibly relies on funding from Middle East-based investors who may not be in a position to contribute in light of the conflict in the region. There are major question marks and OpenAI is still a ways away from its big payday. And another unsurprising nerd narrative from Metaculus, there's a 50% chance that around 12.98 million customers will make up the most significant paying customer base of any AI assistant software in 2025. Amazon tests humanoid robots in warehouses. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by Bloomberg, Evening Standard, BBC News, The Independent, and the About Amazon corporate blog. On Wednesday, Amazon announced that it had begun testing a bipedal robot named Digit to perform highly repetitive tasks such as consolidating tones in its warehouses. Though it's in the early stages of development, the company says Digit can move, squat, bend, and grasp items using its arms and legs. Developed in partnership with Oregon-based startup Agility Robotics, Amazon claims Digit can work in tandem with its staff in spaces and corners of warehouses in novel ways. While Amazon insists humans are irreplaceable in its operations, the tech giant has more than 750,000 robots working collaboratively with its employees. Amazon says the robots have helped create thousands of jobs, including in skilled roles which didn't exist within the company beforehand. Thank you, Scott, for those facts. Our first spin is Narrative A coming from Guardian. This is a threat to Amazon's human workforce. These robots might not be immediately replacing people, but as the technology gets better, we know the company isn't going to pass on something that can save it money and cut out the problems that can occur with human error. Narrative B comes from NDTV. Amazon is simply attempting to change how it moves items through its warehouses so its staff can be free of all the menial tasks and better deliver for its customers. It's also possible there will be health and safety benefits for the human workers. Fears of Amazon using robots to replace people are overblown. Our final nerd narrative of today's podcast coming from Metaculous Prediction Community. They say there's a 34% that AI will be given legal rights or be protected from abuse anywhere in the United States before 2035. 
Thanks for listening to the Verity Podcast for Saturday, October 21st, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. Find out more at Verity.news. You can also download the Verity app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Eric Steiner inviting you to join us next time on the Verity Podcast. Thank you.